Judges 4, story of Deborah. The people of Israel kept right on doing evil in God's sight. With Ehud dead, God sold them off to Jabin, king of Canaan, who ruled from Hazor. Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim, was the leader of his army. The people of Israel cried out to God because he had cruelly oppressed them with his 900 iron chariots for 20 years. Deborah was a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, and she was judge over Israel at that time. She held court under Deborah's palm between Ramah and Bethel in the hills of Ephraim. The people of Israel went to her in matters of justice. She sent for Barak, son of Aboyanam, in Kadesh in Nephitali, and said to him, It has come clear that the God, the God of Israel, commands you. Go to Mount Tabor and prepare for battle. Take ten companies of soldiers from Nephitali and Zebulun. I'll take care of getting Sisera, the leader of Jabin's army, to the Kishon River with all of his chariots and troops, and I will make sure that you win the battle. And Barak said, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And she said, Of course I'll go with you. But understand that with an attitude like that, there'll be no glory in it for you. God will use a woman's hand to take care of Sisera. Deborah got ready and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Nephitali together at Kadesh. Ten companies of men followed him, and Deborah was with him. It happened that Heber the Canaanite had parted company with the other Canaanites. They were the descendants of Hoab, Moses-in-law. He was now living at Zanim Oak near Kadesh. They told Sisera that Barak, son of Abonam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera immediately called up all of his chariots to the Kishon River, 900 iron chariots, along with all of his troops who were with him at Harasheth Hagoyim. Deborah said to Barak, Charge! This very day God has given you victory over Sisera. Isn't God marching before you? And Barak charged down the slopes of Mount Tabor, his ten companies following him. God routed Sisera, all those chariots, all those troops before Barak. Sisera jumped out of his chariot and ran, and Barak chased after the chariots and troops all the way to Harasheth Hagoyim. Sisera's entire fighting force was killed. Not one man was left. Meanwhile, Sisera, running for his life, headed for the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite. Jabin, king of Hazor, and Heber the Kenite were on good terms with one another. Jael stepped out to meet Sisera and said, Come, sir, stay here with me. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. He said to her, Please, a little water, I'm thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink and then covered him up again. Then he said, stand at the tent flap. If anyone comes by and asks you, is there anyone here? Tell him, no, not a soul. And then, while he was fast asleep from exhaustion, Jael, wife of Heber, took a tent peg and hammer, tiptoed towards him 
and drove the tent peg through his temple and all the way into the ground. He convulsed and died. Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to greet him. She said, come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. He went with her, and there he was, Sisera, stretched out, dead, with a tent peg through his temple. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. The people of Israel pressed harder and harder on King Jabin of Canaan until there was nothing left of him. I really wish I'd been given the miracle of five loaves and five fishes. (laughs) For those of you who know, I do still rehearse in front of my dog in the evenings. But um, Deborah, it's a fascinating story and it's a good old you know, Old Testament story, isn't it? It's a story from the national perspective of cunningness. It's got strategy in it. It's about relationships. And it's a story of how God works through the weaker partner. It's another story of God and miracles. And this particular miracle is at a time when Israel had no king. Everyone just did as they saw fit. And as a result, they were, the Israelites, they were stuck in this cycle of sin and then they'd get oppressed and then they'd call out for God, realizing they'd done wrong. And then God would come down and rescue them and then everything would be okay. And then they'd go back into sin. And they're sort of in this cycle at the moment. And the term judges in Hebrew, it's slightly difficult in our Western interpretation. We sort of think of, you know, mahogany rooms and legalistic. A better translation is that actually rescuers. And the book of Judges is really a book of all of these rescue stories of how God rescued them from these different cycles. And in the story of Deborah, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at another rescue story. And in this particular time, they're under the oppression from King Jabin. And we're told that the Jabin's army general is Sisera. But what the narrator makes really clear is this is absolutely no ordinary army. This army has 900 chariots. Now this is a phenomenal amount because that's 900 chariots is not including the foot soldiers, the troops, the cavalry that will go with it. And we're told very clearly that this army is not only enormous, it's also military supreme. It's technically advanced for its time. And if the Israelites ever want to get out of this oppression, the first thing they're going to have to do is to overcome the military. And as a nomadic tribe with nothing under oppression, that's going to take a miracle. This is serious oppression under a serious military. And Deborah is the particular judge at this time. Now, we're not told how she comes into power, unlike other bits of the Old Testament when we're told, you know, and God called so-and-so, or we're given their past history. We know nothing about that of Deborah. All we know is that she took her office under a palm tree, and that was where she did resolution and wisdom and her judgment from. I think there's something nice in there that some of us, we don't have this amazing testimony, and yet God still uses us. But she was also a judge, unlike the others, who was not only had authority, she was also a prophetess. And of all the judges, she is also the only one who has a clean slate where there comes to leading by example. 
If you read through the book of Judges, it's, it's a really messy book and people make mistakes and the leaders mess up. But actually on Deborah, we've got nothing. She's an authority figure and a good example. And it also tells us that gender has nothing to do with being used by God. And use Deborah, God does. <clears throat> the word Deborah brings from the Lord to Barak is to mobilize 10,000 troops. And when I read this to my husband, <clears throat> he said, gosh, can you imagine an ops officer, regimental ops officer today sending out a trawl for 10,000 troops? You know, God would have to be in there somewhere. But what he needs is this 10,000 troops to then go off and defeat Sisera. And Barak says he will do, but only if Deborah goes with him. Deborah says, yes, I will go with you, but the victory will go to a woman, despite all of your efforts. And so the battle commences. And Deborah's story spans two bits of Judges. It's chapter four and chapter five. And the tactics of how they win the battle is pretty impressive. The strategy is that Barak will go to a specified point with his troops. And then what happens is whilst he's there waiting for them, Sisera gets word of this and doesn't like this. Someone's spoiling for a fight and Sisera goes out to basically quash them. There's a bit of pride in there, I think. But at the point as he's out with all of his chariots and his army, the skies pour down into a torrential rain. And this makes the Kishon River, which is normally a shallow, easily passable bit of land, swell into a torrent. And basically, Sisera's army is wiped out in this flood. They're running, they're in panic, I think is the word scripture uses. And at that point, they're caught in an ambush and the whole army is wiped out. However, Sisera, faced with defeat, escapes on foot. Funny how for God, his 900 chariots reduce him down to escaping on foot, isn't it? And he runs to a neighboring tribe, the Kenites, and they had a political truce with the Kenites. The reason for this being was the Kenites had mastered metalwork, which the Canaanites needed for their chariots. So it wasn't a truce in terms of they got on well. It was more the Canaanites saying, you've got something we need, so we'll let you live here. And as Jael invites him into her tent, she waits on him. <clears throat> she tends to him. But when she's asleep, she is in fact an assassin and she murders him. She's actually got a stronger allegiance to Israel. And thus the prophecies of Deborah come true. Eventually with the military disbanded and quashed, the pressure is put on the king and the Israelites have victory. And there is peace for 40 years I don't know what your thoughts are on that story. I've read it to a few people and they went, it's a really challenging story. It conflicts with our understanding of God. And I think we need to tackle it head on. We live in light of the gospel where we're told to love our neighbor. Thou shalt not murder. That was no pun intended, the tackling it head on there, by the way. <laughs> And, but it's important that when we read these stories in the Hebrew Bible, they're clearly not to be read as instructions. These are clearly not stories of telling us how to do things. The story that we read in Judges, it's not an ethical handbook. So if it's not instruction that we seek from Deborah, what is it? Where in this story is God? And more importantly, where are we today? And in the Dutch translation of this story, it uses the term to climb for justice. Deborah was appointed 
to help the Israelites climb for justice. And today we see women being empowered to positions of leadership and authority. This story is far more than just the cultural dilemma of a woman being empowered. And note that it is cultural, not religious. God clearly doesn't have a problem with it. We also see the empowerment of Barak too. When we look at the roles that they had with each other, Deborah has to call Barak to her. There's this secondary level of Barak. There's this empowerment of him in the role he's to take. And they empower each other. And for so long, I think the story of Deborah, I call it biblical origami. It's sort of been folded this way to give that message or folded that way to give that message. And actually, I think a big message in this is we as humans are called to empower each other. And Deb Barak also knows that for whatever reason, having Deborah with him is a good thing. It's all about God empowering men and women to lead, to take authority and to bring justice. And if we're looking at this today, one of the questions we might be asking is where is God using weak people to do his purposes in the world today? Where are the oppressed being given a voice to make a stand Where are the weak making a difference? Where are people putting aside their pride, calling people of a lower standing to them and saying, between us, we can get this to work. We can do justice. Because the truth is, we have Deborah's as much today as we do in the book of Judges. And we have God still today. This is a book of God's miracles and how he works. Because Deborah realized that the gift she had from her Lord was powerful. She had a message from God, but if she kept it to herself, it was powerless. She put her message into action and passed it on to Barak. And sometimes it's easy to have the sort of Teflon shoulders and say, well, that's my bit of it done. But Deborah's moral standing and her faith in God went further than that. She knew that simply passing on the message was not going to be enough. Deborah knows that a word from God is not fully obeyed until it's lived out. That faith without works is dead. But it's messy. And what about the messiness of it all? Like I said, it challenges us. But I think God works through messy people. The God of Deborah is still the God of us today. The God of the miracles that we saw from our youth is still the God of us today. And humans today? Well, we're as human as the people God worked through in Judges. We're as human as Deborah or Sisera or Barak or Jael. What if Deborah is a story of people? And in this story, we see the darkness of the hearts of humanity. Because I turn on the news today and I watch stories of heroes like Deborah, of oppressors like Sisera. I see the miracles of justice and I see fatal actions like jail. It reminded me we were based out in Germany and when we were out in Germany, the camp we were in was Hona. And that was used as an overflow for the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. And when it was liberated... Well, the troops that went in saw all of these prisoners that had been stored in the overflow blocks. And actually one of those blocks was where we lived. And they didn't really know what to do with the prisoners. And these prisoners had been controlled by a titled person called a capo. 
And the capos were people who the Germans had taken out of the prisons. You know, these were the worst of the worst. And these people had been under oppression of the capos for so long. And when the liberation came, the capos were given back to the prisoners and it was sort of washed away. And we think that the actions of jail are so harrowing and we ask questions, but those actions were only 74 years ago, 75 years ago. Maybe Judges 4 and 5 is not a one-timer to particular people. It's humanity. And God works through sinful humanity today as much as he did then. We are the tools that he works through. His amazing works, his miraculous works, his justice. And it's funny how it's easy to blame God and not see the brutality in humanity. But there's hope in all of this because we're called to follow the crucified Lord. And at times, this calling will look messy. Being a Christian means that we will be called to messy and difficult situations. We're called to stand up. We're called to help with the oppressed. We're called to lift up the weak, to heal, to bind, all of those things. And everyone, Christian or not, at some point in their life will have to make hard decisions and take actions in this earthly, fleshy world that remind us we're only human. I remember another testimony of sitting with a family when I was up in Sheffield and they had to make the decision whether or not to turn the life support of their daughter off. And when I read Deborah, I think, gosh, I wonder if that felt like driving that temp peg through their daughter's life. Or sitting with another family that had a child who was so caught in addiction, they'd, had, they'd made the decision to stop giving that child any sort of financial support. I wonder if in that battle for justice, it felt like driving a temp peg through their child's life. But we have to hope and pray that in these moments, we discern from the Lord the right way, his way and his will. And in the darkness, that's also where we see the fullness of God on center stage. This miracle, this what seemed looked like a seemingly impossible situation with military might and weak people, of leaders who felt they were incapable, that's where we see God shine through. That is where we see the fullness of God on center stage. It's the people walking side by side and sometimes saying, I don't understand this either, but I know God does. That's where we see the miracles coming through. We follow a God today who still raises up the weak, who still achieves the miraculous, who still calls justice. And we are called to follow that light. Today we have the gospel as our directive and we know that God goes with us. We have the Holy Spirit and whatever our Deborah battle may be, we know that we enter it with him who empowers us. We know he already has the victory. And I think one of the lessons we can learn from Deborah is no matter how impossible or messy the situation is that we face, we're also called to be a people that go, that lift each other up and say, with God, we can do this. <laughs>